Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 2266. Today is Valentine's Day, so happy Valentine's Day to all you lovers. And it's appropriate for the topic of the day because we're going to be talking about Ferraris and a particular dealership that brought the passion of Ferrari to the United States, specifically the West Coast and California. And of course, everybody knows if it's a Ferrari, it's got to be red, just like Valentine's Day. So here we go. Buckle up. Be prepared to be inspired. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars Yeah. Today I'm in Morgan Hill, California, with a very special guest by the name of, <clears throat> excuse me, now I got a frog, <laughs> by the name of Jim Chardella. Jim, welcome to Cars Yeah. Do you have it in gear, and are you ready to release the clutch? Yes, I am, Mark, and, and thanks a lot for having me. You're welcome, and we're going to be talking about something very fun today. Uh, who doesn't love Ferraris? Uh, even if you don't have one or you will never have one, I've got to think most car people have some place in their heart for the Ferrari, Mark. And today we're going to be talking about a great a book that you put together. Uh, but first, before I give you an introduction and we dive into this book, would you share one little thing that most people don't know about you? Uh, sure. I, I guess one thing that, that most people don't know about me, unless they're maybe a childhood friend, is is that I played bass guitar in a rock and roll band when I was in high school. Wow. And uh, yeah, our, our claim to fame was that we were the uh, opening act for Sly and the Family Stone, if you remember them back in no, the... No, really? In, in, wow. Yeah. Now, I have, to, I have to say, though, that it was about a year before they released their, their famous song, Dance to the Music. Oh, okay. And uh, so they were not really well known at the time. Yep. And once they became uh, very popular, uh, they didn't ask us back. They didn't ask to you do, to come back and to do be their lead. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. Well, you know, this is interesting because regular listeners to Cars Yeah know that I've had, I think, pretty uh, uh, a good number of people on this show who are car people that are past or current musicians. So there's okay. there's some kind of a tie here to cars and music and yeah, something that kind of goes there. But uh, I too played the guitar in high school. We had a little band that we played and um, I even taught guitar when I was in college to make extra money for college to uh, beginners. My mom had me learn from a classical guitar teacher when I was about eight. So I had to learn the scales and how to read music and do it that way, which at the time I just wanted to sit, you know play a song, but he made me go through all that. But I'm grateful. I, I I can't say uh, that I can read music today. I've kind of uh, not done that. But do you still still play the bass? I, I do not. Uh, I, I it's interesting. I, I have the guitar that I had back in the 1960s. Oh wow! Uh, my my brother found it actually, and uh, um, uh, purchased it. I don't know, maybe eight or ten years ago, and he gave it to me as a gift. Oh my gosh! And, what a cool thing! And, yeah, I know it's the same one too because I had this crack in the neck. It was just a slight hairline crack, and I had never repaired it, and it's it's still there today. So I I'm I have the guitar, but I mean I could play it, uh, but not like I did back yeah, then. It's, yeah, I understand. Know. Other things other things get in the way. Well, one Absolutely. thing one thing that's gotten in the way is a book. So I want to give you an introduction, and I want to dive into this book because I find it fascinating. It takes us on a little bit of a journey back in time to the beginnings of the Ferrari mark in the United States market, and how. This particular dealership brought these cars forward so that the car lovers back then could actually have them. So here we go. Jim Chardella, 
and I love the last name, Cerdella. Very Italian. Yeah. <laughs> Worked in industry accounting where writing was a large part of his life. His career included companies from National Semiconductor, Dolch Computer Systems, Electronic Data Systems, NDS Surgical Imaging, and many others. Along the way, he met a guy named Brian Burnett, who was the owner of Ferrari of Los Gatos, and over the years learned about that iconic dealership via Brian's many stories. And this led Jim to authoring a book titled The Dealer, the untold story of how one California dealership fueled the rise of Ferrari cars in America. It's published by our friends at Prometheus Books. It takes us back to 1975 and forward with the no-fear attitude of an endless passion for classic cars and operating unlike any other dealer before, making owning part of the Ferrari mystique possible. We'll be back in just a moment, but first a word from our sponsor, so give them a little listen. We'll be back and we'll be talking Ferrari. We're going to have some fun. Years ago, when it was time to renew my collector car insurance policy, my carrier's rates went up way up. But my usage was the same and I never made a claim. I didn't even have a ticket. So what's with that? So I turned to American Collectors Insurance. Has your collector car insurance recently raised your rates for no good reason? Tired of paying an annual membership fee? Then it's time to look around and call American Collectors Insurance. I shopped around. I asked friends for recommendations and found a winner that I can trust. And boy, I'm glad I did. I saved hundreds of dollars every year and slept better at night knowing my baby was properly insured. American Collectors Insurance have been protecting vehicles since 1976. They provided me with an agreed value insurance policy backed by their history of taking great care of their clients. What could be better than that? So give them a call and ask for a quote today. 866-ACI-YEAH. That's 866-224-9324. And protect the ones you love like I did with American Collectors Insurance. Classic car insurance designed by collectors for collectors. For several years now, you've heard me talk about Linkage Magazine. I've been a subscriber since the start. Their talented and creative team brings you a spectacular publication and website that shares the automotive passion from a worldwide perspective. Linkage is about driving, restoring, collecting, and firsthand experience at collector car auctions and more. They bring you real-world values plus rational, experienced opinions on the current markets. They cover the automotive world and the people who share our passions. And Linkage Magazine has grown, mailing you six issues annually. Join me on this journey with Linkage. They're geared for the automotive life. You can subscribe at LinkageMag.com. If your car started today, well, thank a tech. If that truck delivering your goods today got to your home or your business, thank attack. If that airplane you rode in took off and landed safely, and if that boat you're riding in arrived at the dock safe and sound, that's right, thank attack. One thing the pandemic has taught us is that great techs keep America rolling. They are essential workers and we need them. Support career and technical education by getting involved with TechForce Foundation. It's a Cars Yeah charity of choice. Learn more at techforce.org today. So, Jim, uh, we are back. So I want to kind of start at the beginning of what what rose to create this book for you, because I, I enjoyed it. I got a copy here and I enjoyed going through this book. And a lot of this seemed to be focused around a friendship that you created. And that led to stories and that led to a book. But what's more interesting to me is what's the impetus for you to actually sit down and write a book? There's one thing to hear stories, but the other to actually take pen to sheet or keyboard to a computer and author a book. Sure. I, I think there's a couple things. I, I mean, first of all, I think there was just a, a, a passion inside me that 
I wanted to write a book for some time. I always thought I would write maybe just some memoirs of my life for my family, uh, something like that. But I had this kind of desire inside to to write. My dad was a, uh, his friends always used to call him, the, they nicknamed him the storyteller because at parties and gatherings, he was always full of stories to tell and people just loved to, to listen to him. And I think I got some of that. So I enjoy telling stories. To me, writing a book is really telling a story. And so I think it was that internal passion. But it was also, uh, as you said, when I met Brian, you know, I moved to Los Gatos and uh, met Brian shortly after I moved there. I liked the guy a lot when I first met him. The, the night I met him, I shook hands with him and said hello. And my friend that had introduced me to him said, uh, Brian used to own the Ferrari dealership here in town. Uh-huh. And I just went, oh my gosh, you know, I've been to that dealership years ago as a younger fellow. And my friends did, my brothers did. It was, that was a that was a, a really cool dealership with lots of cars to look at, not just Ferraris. And I said, I always wanted one. And, you know, the next words out of Brian's mouth were, do you still want one? <laughs> and I thought, I like this guy. He's still in sales mode, even though he hasn't <laughs> had the dealership for 20 years or yeah. whatever. So I said, absolutely. And so he just picked up his cell phone. He dialed a number and I heard him say, do you still have the 308? And then I, you know, and then I heard him say, um, don't do anything with it. It's sold. And he hung up. <laughs> And so, you know, it was, it was kind of interesting. I mean, it was a, he was a different character than most of the people that I had have met in my life. And uh, so he looked at me and he said, uh, write me a check for $10,000. You know, I normally don't ever carry my checkbook around with me. Sure. I don't know why, but that night I had my checkbook was out in my car, oh my gosh. in my briefcase for some reason. So I said, sure, I'll, I'll, my checkbook's out in the car. I'll be right back. I got up from the we were sitting at the bar to have dinner and I got up and walked, started walking. I got about six or eight steps away and I heard, Jim, Jim, come back, come back. And it was Brian waving me back to the bar. And I got back over and he said, it was just a test. Ah. He said, you don't know how many times in my life when I had the dealership and even after, because he's still, you know, looking for cars for people and helping them uh, get it, get the car they want. He said, how many times people just, you know, stiffed me. And he said, I just wanted to make sure that you were serious. And I said, look, I'm serious. I'm telling you right now, because uh, he told me about the car. He said, 82, 308, GTSI. Uh, it's red on tan, which was the color I'd always dreamed of. Uh, and he said, it only has 12,000 original miles on it. And I wow. said, I told him, I'll buy the car. I'll take it. And he said, no, 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 that's not the way you buy a car. He said, unless you or someone you trust has seen the car, you, you don't buy it. Right. And so he <laughs> right. said, we'll go see the car this weekend. It was a couple of days later. If you still want it, you, you know, you can get it then. So yeah. there was something there that, you know, I just, I kind of warmed up to the guy and I liked him. And then it turned out we, in, we lived on the same street, a couple what? blocks away from each other. Oh my God. Yeah. Wow. And so, you know, we used to walk to downtown Los Gatos um, for dinner and uh, we were that close and uh, I'd run into him and then it just started it was two or three nights a week. We'd always go to the same place. We'd sit together at the, at the bar and have dinner. Wow. And every night he was telling me stories about the dealership. And he finished every story with the same sentence. Somebody ought to write a book about this. I'm not <laughs> kidding. And I listened to that for a year, maybe even two years. And just one night, I think everything, you know, came together. And I said, Brian, I'll write the book for you. Yeah. And he looked at me and he said, 
well, how can you write the book? You're an accountant. And I said, <laughs> Brian, I'll figure out a way. <laughs> yeah. And, and we did. Wow. Well, it's a fun story. And of course, the thing about car people is once you meet a car person, if you're instant friends, no matter what. And I want you to go back a little bit to maybe the beginnings of how that dealership came to be, because we want people to buy the book and, and read the whole story. And it's fascinating. There's so many oh, yeah. parts to this thing. But, you know, you think about Ferrari back in the 70s. And I remember I, I was lucky enough to grow up in a fairly affluent uh, part of California, La Jolla, California. And there was always a couple of friends whose dads were doctors or lawyers who had some money and they had cool cars. And I remember the first time a friend of my dad bought the first Mira that came out. Oh, yeah. And went over and looked at this spaceship going Oh my gosh. And then he ended up mm -hmm. buying a Ferrari after that. And so Ferraris were in back in those days were really kind of hard to come by and they weren't really something you saw around the U.S. It wasn't the first dealership. I would probably guess that San Francisco was, you know, or maybe even L.A. I, but uh, no, there were when when Brian opened the dealership, there were two dealerships in Northern California. Uh, the one in San Francisco and there was another one in Monterey. So Brian was kind of right in the middle. Uh, Los, Los Gatos is kind of right in the middle. But you're right. Back in the early 70s, uh, Ferrari was really not uh, a car that uh, was selling very many in, in, in the United States. In fact, I think that they, in the early 70s, they weren't even selling 100 cars a year in, in North America. And um, so some people have always asked, why in the world would you want a Ferrari dealership when they weren't selling very many? <laughs> but 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 uh, Brian, and, and it, it starts out in the book, it tells a little bit about his childhood and how he got hooked on Ferraris, mm -hmm. uh, being, being at SCCA uh, races with his dad, who was um, a cutaway artist that worked for um, for Bob Peterson for Hot Rod Magazine. Very cool. He did drawings in Hot Rod Magazine in the late 40s and early 50s. He was a cutaway artist, so you, I don't know if you're familiar with that. It's the oh, it's yes. a, it, where you kind of see a car from the inside out, yep. or what it looks like under the skin. And he was very good at it. And they, in fact, they they, they call him the father of cutaway um, art. So a lot of people have done it since then, but uh, he probably was the guy who started. So Brian kind of grew up around cars and motorcycles and anything else that uh, that went fast. But, um, yeah, he was at a race with his dad, and he heard a Ferrari for the first time start up uh, at that race. It was driven by Jim Kimberly, and uh, he was a champion driver back then. I think it was in the mid-1950s, and so that's where he kind of fell in love with Ferraris. So he'd wanted to, he wanted to be involved with Ferraris and ever since he was about 10 years old. And um, at the time, he was working for the Porsche Audi dealership in, in uh, Santa Clara. And just to give you a little background on, again, on him, he joined that dealership and ended up becoming the manager of the dealership when it was, I think it was ranked around 60 in the nation. Within a two or three years, it was ranked number one under Brian's leadership. Wow. So he was the kind of guy, he wanted to be number one. He wanted to win. He wanted to be the fastest. Um, he bought a motorcycle. He talked his dad into buying him a motorcycle when he was a teenager. It was a Vincent. Uh, it talked about in the book as well. And um, it, it was uh, he, he bought it because it was the fastest motorcycle on earth at the time. Um, and so that that was what it was all about for him. Speed, performance, uh, number one. Those were the things that drove him. And uh, so, um, you know, again, Ferrari, uh, I think at the time, I, I remember reading when I was doing my research um, that 
Some of the executives in Ferrari, the marketing people, didn't believe that North America was a, a good market for the car. They said Americans would never understand the, the true value of the car. They wouldn't pay the price. <laughs> you know, they don't Wrong. appreciate that and all that. So, yeah. you know, again, it was a challenge for Brian. And I think he liked challenges, yeah. just like what he did with the Porsche Audi dealership. You know, I don't care. We're number 60. We're going to number one. Right. Um, I think he took the same attitude with Ferrari. I'll, I'll show these guys what we could do. And, and as you said, he did it by being different. He didn't allow his people to wear a suit and tie. He, his sales staff. Uh, he said, we're going to wear polo shirts and jeans. Oh, and uh, Dress like the customers. That's exactly what he said. He said, people will buy a car from you if they feel comfortable. They don't feel comfortable if they come in here and we look different than them. We want them comfortable and relaxed. And that's how we'll sell cars. And it, and it, and it worked. It's talked about in the book, and I don't want to give away too much, but uh, Bill Hera of Hera's uh, Casinos and Hotels Resorts uh, was the uh, distributor of the on the West Coast, and he and his organization decided who would get distributorships. And so uh, Brian and his and his partner Richard Ravor, uh had to convince Bill um, to get a dealership, and that took a while. And they went through a lot of uh, ups and downs with it. As I say, the stories in the book, but um, they had about I think it was something like nineteen cars in the in the warehouse, Bill Bill Harrow's warehouse. These were um, they were 308s, but they were GT4s, I think they were called. And they were um, kind of a box-shaped Ferrari that nobody really liked that much. Right. They did, it, wasn't, it wasn't quite the, the, the Ferrari style. I think it was they had changed the, um, who, who the body maker was that year. Um, but it also, these cars were also, none of them were red. They were all strange colors. And uh, Brian recalled the that one of the employees there said, well, somebody screwed up and just ordered these cars. Nobody wants them. We can't sell them. They've been sitting here collecting dust. And they basically, he and his partner took those 19 cars as their first inventory to start with. Oh, wow. And within a couple months, I think within 40 days, they sold all 19 of them. <laughs> and again, you know, people came in, he said, every customer wanted a red one. But we said, we, we just came up with this saying, an answer. Why would you want the same color everybody else has? Right. Right. And people started thinking, oh, yeah, well, okay. So they bought a yellow one or a green one or a blue one. And uh, they sold those cars, like I said, pretty quickly. Uh, they were making money within a month or two after starting the dealership, which was unheard of at the time. And um, they placed an order with the factory for more cars. And there was a, it was a backlog. They, they never had an order that big that quick. And so it, it was going to take them a while. So what they, what they started doing, they started buying cars from the other dealers around the North America. Oh, my gosh. Wow. And, you know, those guys had cars because they weren't almost most of the other dealers had other lots next door. You know, they weren't just Ferraris. They had BMWs or Chevys or Ford lots. And that's where they made their money. The, the Ferrari was just a, um, you know, kind I, of a nice candy to to pull people in. Eye, eye candy. Yeah. Plus, the owner got to drive the, the the demo car home at night, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, it's you know it's fascinating, and you're right. People don't have to buy a Ferrari. That's a dream. Uh, pass, uh, fascination. You think about in the '70s, the Ferrari lineup back then. I mean, now you think of it, and there's some iconic cars, but the 365 Daytonas, the Dino 246, one of my favorites, the 365 yeah. GT4 you talked oh. about, the the Berlinetta Boxer, the 308 GT4, and the GTB and GTS. 
Contest, and then there was the, the 400, and then, of course, along came the 512 Boxer. So, yeah, oh, they yeah. had this very unique lineup, but, of course, none of them were very reliable, and they weren't daily <laughs> drivers that anybody could yeah. tolerate. Um, they were just toys and candy, but it, I find it fascinating that he figured out a different way to sell them, and that just the polo shirt and the jeans was a good example. You know, when you think about a challenge, and there's two ways that, that I want you to maybe think about answering this. You can pick one. What was the biggest challenge for you in writing the book? Or maybe what was the biggest challenge that Brian had in when you think about all the different stories, the biggest challenge he encountered throughout the years with the dealership? Yeah, so I, I got, I'll tell you both. First <laughs> of all, with, with the book, the biggest challenge I had was that when I started doing the research, I found too much information. I think I could have wrote a thousand pages about the dealership. Um, the book is a couple hundred pages. I had a hard time figuring out what to put in the book and what to leave out. So that was probably the biggest challenge. And I, it took me a long time because I actually, I was writing about everything and it was just too much. You know, we've always said we could have wrote three or four books. We thought about trying to write sequels and not tell the whole story, but it's a hard one not to say, here's the way it started and here's the way it ended. You know, so it, it, we had to do that. So that was my challenge with writing. As far as the challenge with the dealership, uh, how do I want to say it? The people thought that they couldn't own a Ferrari. They couldn't afford a Ferrari. And and it was kind of true because the, the dealers before Brian had kind of, you know, as I said, they had their lots with their Fords and Chevys, and that's where they wanted people to be because that's where they made their money. So if you weren't either rich or famous or, or at least looked like you were rich or famous, you pretty much didn't even go on the Ferrari lot, and they didn't want you on the Ferrari lot. Brian, on the other hand, he wanted the average guy off the street to come in, and he wanted him to buy a car. Because Brian not only had Ferraris on his lot, he had other classic cars as well. And in fact, you mentioned the, the Mira. We have a story in the book about the Lamborghini that uh, somebody came in and bought from Brian and, and what happened with it. It's a very, very funny and interesting story. Um, so even the book doesn't just talk about Ferraris. It talks about muscle cars and, and, and other classic cars as well. But the challenge that he had was getting people to realize you can afford a Ferrari. And so obviously at the time, in the late 70s, this was not a good time. People didn't have money. We had recession. <laughs> yeah, recession gas crisis. Yeah. We had people lined up at the gas stations. We, we could only get gas on certain days of the week based on your license plate, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and, and people really couldn't afford a car that you would just, you know, take out on the weekends for for an hour or two. Sure, yeah. Uh, so what he came up with, he met a bank and um, the banker was willing to finance the Ferraris. Nice. This was unheard of at the time. There was no such thing as car leasing, uh, but this guy put together something where small down payment or Brian decided even he would take trade-ins on a Ferrari. It was really unheard of. Um, but he, like I said, if, if somebody had a, um, a nice uh, sports car, he'd put it on the lot and sell that too. So he figured out a way to offer financing to people. And um, I mean, that is when he really, when sales really took off because not only were the doctors and lawyers coming in that could afford to pay cash, um, people were coming in that were just average off the street. I got a trade in, <clears throat> I can afford a monthly payment. That's probably the same thing as if I went and bought a Mustang. Um, it, it just it had a big balloon payment at the end. 
But what was going on at the time is the cars were going up in value. So you get to the end of your whatever it was, three-year payments, and the bank would refinance it. The car was worth more than it was when you, when you bought it. Well, there's a, so, there's a great uh, graphic you have in the book uh, that says it's, a, it's an ad from August 5th, 1977. Ferrari 308GT4s, $299 per month for 35 months. Two left. You had a red one and a white one. Uh, and then a balloon at the end of that for $13,625.15. And then this says cash or trade, tax and license, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah. So, there uh, you go. Uh, getting creative. Um, well, it's a fascinating book. And, and I really encourage, uh, even if you're not a Ferrari fan, uh, you're a car fan. And I'd encourage everyone to pick up a copy. And, you know, what I love to do is buy books for friends uh, and share them. But I want to talk a little bit about you and okay. your passion for cars is there one special vehicle in your life that you could share a story about uh sure i mean i think it's my ferrari <laughs> well i was hoping we were going to go there <laughs> yeah i mean i told you kind of the story of how i how i uh, got the ferrari when i first met brian sure um but there's there's another interesting part to this story um you know i'm, I'm a i'm a real uh, strong believer in um you know having dreams and and, and that we have the ability to make our dreams come true, that we need to visualize them and believe that they can come true. But what happened with my car is something that I didn't realize until many years after I bought it. And, and that is that, um, you know, like Brian falling in love with Ferraris when he was a young boy, I fell in love with Ferraris probably in the 1980s when I used to watch the Magnum PI TV of series course, the 308. and I just, I would never miss that show. I had a couple young daughters at the time. Uh, and I always used to tell them dad's going to have a car like that someday. And, you know, they usually just ignored me and kept coloring or playing with their toys. <laughs> um, you know, but, but, um, if you fast forward to, to, uh, 2018, which is 30 years after I was watching Magnum PI, I stumbled across a website for the Peterson Auto Museum down in Los Angeles. And I was just starting a blog. I was going to, I would, I blogged my book for a couple of years before, before I actually, uh, finished writing it. And, um, I was in what, in my first, uh, blog article, I was going to put in a story about the Magnum PI Ferrari. And, uh, you know, my girlfriend was down in LA at the time. So I asked her to go to take some pictures for me because I, I saw that, uh, the Peterson Auto Museum had him, had one of the Ferraris that he drove on the show in the museum. So she said, sure. She went down and, and, and took the pictures. And, and afterwards she said to me, you know, that Magnum PI Ferrari sure looks like yours. And I thought, yeah, yeah, I'm sh they all look the same, right? There were all red ones back then. So, But then I took a closer look at the photograph, which was Tom Selleck standing by the car, and the caption on the photo said, 1982 Ferrari 308 GTSI, driven in the television series Magnum PI. Now, this car turned out to be the same model, same year, same colors, I mean, everything the same <laughs> Ferrari that was in my garage. There you go. And I thought, wow, I never realized it, but I purchased this car, the model anyhow, not the exact car, but the model that I had been fascinated by 20 years earlier. Well, you uh, know, you imprint these things in your mind and they say that's one of the ways that you set goals is you have an impression. I, I had a, my first job out of college, I wanted a Porsche 
And so I had a big yep. poster of a Porsche, red Porsche that hung above my desk. And that was part of my motivation of working hard and trying to get ahead and make money. And uh, sure enough, the first Porsche ended up being a red Porsche that I got. So <laughs> you make that impression on your head. You know, speaking of impressions, I'm going to be your car psychologist today and crawl into your head a little bit here. If you were okay. manifest or reincarnated as a vehicle, what would you be and why? Yeah. So I, I, I came up with a, a, a car that it may surprise you, but um, it's a GMC Hummer SUV. Okay, now and, we're going to the opposite end of the world here. <laughs> yeah, I know. But, you know, so it's not a fast vehicle. It's not a sports car. Uh, it's not anything like a Ferrari. But the reason is when I thought about the car, I, what pops into my mind is that it's going to get through whatever obstacle it comes up against. And, you you know, that's that's kind of the way that I am. In fact, maybe this is why I was a little bit um, it it appealed to me to have Brian as a friend, because I like to be different, too. I I don't like to just go with the crowd. I I like to do things maybe that are some people think are too difficult to do. Um, I also have just the the willpower to get it done no matter what it's going to take. And that's kind of the way it was with my book. My book took 12 years from start to finish. Although it was on the shelf for probably six or seven years uh, when I didn't work on it at all, and it took another year probably to get it published after that uh, that time. But during that year, I had about 160 rejections from literary agents. And but I said, you know what, this is going to get done no matter what. So when I I started thinking about cars. It was the first thing that popped into my mind because <laughs> you said yeah. if it was me, right? Yeah. No, so. I, I think it makes sense for this. And, you know, I mean, uh, J.K. Rawlings had a lot of people reject Harry Potter. <laughs> and look where she ended up. So, uh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's like like all my race car driving guests say, never, ever give up. And, and of course, we always talk about books here. And, and again, the name of the book is The Dealer. How One California Dealership Fueled the Rise of Ferrari Cars in America by our guest today, Jim Chardella, and it's published by our friends at Prometheus Books. Now, I'm going to enable you to go on what I call the ultimate drive today, Jim. This is kind of a fun fantasy. I'm going to provide you with any car. I'm going to park it in your garage. Don't worry about the cost because I'm paying for it today. You can take it on a drive. And here's the fun part. You can take anybody you'd like with you, even somebody who's no longer with us from the past. So what does this ultimate drive look like for you? And will it be in a Ferrari? <laughs> yes. Okay. It cool. will be in a Ferrari. <laughs> Good. Um, in fact, I, I, I'd, I'd like to share two ultimate drives with you if I could. Oh, uh, now you're I'll, getting a little I'll, greedy I'll, on me, Jim, but I'll that's make, okay. I'll make them that's quick. Okay. I'll make them quick. Okay. One's just a, for personal reasons. But I thought a lot about this as well. And so the first thing that, that really popped into my head is I, I would want to be in a car with Enzo Ferrari. Oh, gosh. Okay. And so, you know, that's that I said, and I, I would want to be in it when he was younger and he was still racing for Alfa Romeo. Yeah. Um, be- before Ferrari, because it's not about the car for me as much as it would be about the man. Yeah. And so I said, I'd like to be in the, the 1934 Alfa Romeo Tipo that he drove, the BP3. Mm. And, you know, he'd be driving and hopefully I'd be able to fit in the seat next to him because I think <laughs> it was one seat. But I did see a picture of him with a second person in that car because I think yeah. back then the seats were pretty wide. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd really just be talking to him and asking him questions to try and figure out, you know, really what was it that this man possessed or this young man possessed at the time that would really 
enable him to create what I believe is the greatest automotive marquee ever. Yeah. And uh, so I think, you know, you said magic wand, I can have whatever <laughs> I want. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, you know, those, yeah, uh, that would be fascinating. And what would be really fascinating is to bring him back to life and put him in a modern day Ferrari and get his impressions of that. You know, yeah, a La Ferrari sure. or something, um, you know, and see, or, or even more interesting, show him the whole lineup and which car is he most fascinated with. Now, he'd probably say, where are the F1 cars? Uh, that's yeah. what I really want to see, right? You know, but uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, exactly. And and I think, too, in those uh, those old Ferraris, sometimes with the dual seats, one of the seats was sitting back a little bit so you could fit. You weren't shoulder to shoulder so the driver could, you know, flail his arms around a little bit. And maybe in that P3, I'd have to go back and look for some pictures to see if that's true. But yeah, definitely uh, there's some pictures of, of he and his uh, sidekick there. Uh, yeah, mechanic yeah. usually the guy that would fix the car when he broke it. Right, yeah. right. Well, but you said you had a second. Yeah. So, wish. so my second one um, would be with my father uh, in my Ferrari. Then ah. and and I'd be driving, and it would really be just to share the experience with him yeah. because unfortunately I never got to. So yeah, yeah. <clears throat> uh, that's something I I wish I could have done. Very cool. Well, that would be awfully special. Well, you've taken <laughs> yeah. us on a, a fun drive today. And again, I encourage you listeners to get your hands on this book if you love Ferrari. But even, you know, there's a business tie to this book. And I love business books and how people do things and how they make successes. And the fact that Brian figured out a way to sell cars that were very hard to sell back in the day and do it and fulfill dreams is what makes this book even more interesting to me than just a book about Ferraris. There's a lot of books like that. Before I let you go today, could you share with us maybe some parting words of wisdom or inspiration to share with folks? Sure. You know, I, 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 as I said earlier, I'm a firm believer in visualizing things and that we all have the ability to make things happen. Sometimes we don't realize it. I thought of a of a couple quotes that I really like, and the the first one is um, "It always seems impossible until it's done," <laughs> yeah. and and that was and that was said by Nelson Mandela. Mm. So you can imagine what where where, yeah. where his thinking was. And then the other one I really like. Oh, I just realized this is a car guy too, and I didn't I didn't even think about that when I wrote it down. But it says, "If you think you can, you can." And if you think you can't, you can't. <laughs> yeah. And that's Henry Ford. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, it's, um, I, I think that all of us, you know, I, I'm sure that there was a time, in fact, I had close family members that said to me, what are you doing writing a book? You don't know how to write a book. Even <laughs> Brian, how can you write it? You know, so you always have the naysayers that think you can't do it. Right. So uh, I think the book. Prove them wrong, right? And that's, <laughs> that's, what the book, that's what the book is all about, is how Brian proved the world wrong. That, you know, we talked about Ferrari only selling under 100 cars a year. Um, within two or three years after Brian opened the dealership, they were selling over 1,000 cars a year. So, you know, that was know. a 10x. Uh, jump, not just because of Brian, there were other dealers too, but it just, you know, it, it, he didn't give up. He, he visualized it. He made it happen. He made it happen. I love it. You know, another uh, quote I picked up from your book that I'll share uh, along with your words of inspiration uh, is by you, Jim, the written word weaves memories into amazing <laughs> stories. So there you yeah. go. So if you've got a story in you listeners, 
get out there and write a book. There's so many ways to be able to do this these days, even self-publish if nobody's going to pick up your book. There's ways to do that. And I even had a guest uh, by the name of Jill who was on the show a few weeks ago who's a ghostwriter and she can help you write books. So uh, check her out as well. Uh, Again, the book is titled The Dealer. How One California Dealership Fueled the Rise of Ferrari Cars in America. But links to this book, so you can get your hands on a copy or two or three. Like I said, I like to buy books for friends of mine, so pick up a few. Uh, It's a great gift to give to somebody, and then they can pass it forward to somebody else. And I want to do a shout-out here to a a mutual Carsia alumni of yours and a friend of mine who suggested that I contact you, Jim, Richard Pepe. Richard, thank you so much. I know you're listening because he listens on his commute out of New York City back to Jersey every day. So uh, watch out for that car in front of you, bud. But thank you, Richard. (laughs) Very kind of you to put us together today. Jim, thanks for being so generous with your time and sharing this wonderful story with us. Until you and I talk again, I'll see you, hopefully in a Ferrari, down the road. All right. Sounds great, Mark. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!